0: It's February 18th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe,
1: where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local tech and science stories. Then, we're going to move on to the tech calendar. Joining us first is Arthur Garbizo, HICTA president, and he's going to tell us about the upcoming HICTA conference. Also, our good friend Jay Fidel is here to tell us about some of the new shows on Think Tech and an upcoming event on unfunded liabilities. Yes. Finally, we'll talk...
0: Uh, on two, about two science writers, uh, we have Sarah C. P. Williams and Brittany Moya del Pino about the citizen science and fledgling Hawaii
1: Science Writers Association. We'd of course love to have your questions and thoughts as part of that conversation be ready to call in or tweet us on Twitter. but first, the headlines. Well, the University of Hawaii
0: system is offering its first joint video game development class between its Manoa and West Oahu campuses. Three dozen students will be connected uh, live across 15 miles thanks to the Cyber Canoe. Canoe stands for Collaborative Analytics Navigation and Observation Environment, the Cyber Canoe is an immersive space that allows students and researchers to explore worlds of data in 3D, stepping inside giant data sets to see it from new a new perspective or working with remote peers as if they were right there in the same room. The technology is frequently compared
1: to the holodeck from Star Trek. The canoe is the brainchild of Jason Lee. He was recently recruited to the university last year under the UH Innovation Initiative. Lee was already a leader in data visualization. He made a name for himself at the University of Illinois at at Chicago, where he and a team of researchers had built the CAVE, or Cave Automatic Virtual Environment. Now a UH Manoa computer science professor, Lee has launched LAVA, the Laboratory for Advanced Visualization and Applications. The plan is to build a much larger canoe system at UH Manoa and eventually expand the system to have connected canoes at all UH campuses across the state. Well, this new uh, joint video
0: game development class is being led by Lee and Josiah Lebowitz, uh, a professor of game design at the UH West O'ahu. There's strong potential for students. Uh, The university citing industry figure says that video games are about a $6.2 billion industry. Lee says in a statement, whether it's video games, planning a new city, or going into outer, outer space, the idea behind Cyber Canoe is to use data visualization to allow people to be more creative, solve more challenging problems, and come to better solutions with greater confidence. Now, some of the uh, videos that I've seen of this uh, Cyber Canoe is, is pretty interesting. I mean, they're like uh, four or five, maybe in a 360-degree circle, and uh, the monitors are huge, so yeah. you're in there, and you're able to kind of maneuver through different sort of uh, data sets and I think it's what is a touch, screen, touch screen? no no I
1: mean it's, it's it's really more about the 3D projection mm-hmm. in there but 72 flat screens 20 speakers 36 computers that was in the cave that he built that uh, in Illinois um, right now the cyber canoe that he's got is a little smaller but he's working on a much bigger one but it is impressive and I can't imagine that's how you might do a remote class that if you have students in the canoe in this circular room which and they have pictures of this you can have other students in another classroom in their canoe and pretty much feel like you're in the same room yeah i
0: so. be kind of curious to find out what the uh sort of bandwidth connection between the two campuses might be that uh, uh you know allows this facilitates this
1: right but it's uh, all about creating the workforce it's not just about game development but this is sort of the pilot for that so we'll keep an eye on it and uh, i know that we wanted to have jason lee back on to yeah talk you know he, about he
0: hinted about this uh, on the show that we had uh, over christmas and sounds uh, sounds now like an coming. interesting we got to go check this out I yeah guess. yeah
1: Employers sometimes require employees to sign non-compete agreements, which prevent workers from doing business in the same field after they leave the company. Supporters of this practice say it increases employee retention and protects trade secrets from competitors. But a set of bills before the Hawaii State Legislature aim to limit the use of these non-compete agreements, particularly for physicians and people in the tech sector. In tech, opponents say non-compete agreements stifle innovation and prompt local businesses to, in fact, recruit from out of state. Well, House Bill 1090
0: and Companion Senate Bill 1279 would prohibit non-compete agreements that, uh, restrictive and restrictive covenants that forbid post-employment competition of employees of a technology business. Senate Committee on Economic Development and Technology voted on this bill today. Uh, Catherine Matayoshi, State Superintendent for Education, submitted testimony in support of the bill, saying that non-compete agreements have made it hard for the Department of Education to find available and qualified
1: candidates for its technology positions. But Ken Hiraki, Vice President of Government and Community Affairs for Hawaiian Telecom, testified that his company opposed the bill, saying non-competes protect confidential information like client lists and upcoming products and encourage companies to hire more freely given these protections.
0: Well, so in the, um, uh, I guess, hearing yesterday, it passed. Yeah, the House House bill passed.
1: And the Senate
0: bill actually is kind of going on right now. And uh, I got a a, uh, text message saying that uh, Senator Wakai is pretty confident that the bill will pass through the Senate, the hearing with some amendments. Uh, It's interesting because, you know, for tech companies, I think what they're mainly concerned about is, that uh, if there's some IP that might go with the employee... Then that might uh, compromise the company in terms of you know some of its sort of trade secrets. Well, but it's
1: interesting to hear the justifications for a specific industry. Whether it's physicians, which are in demand certainly, and you want them to be more mobile, and in the tech industry because uh, for me the most visible example of non-competes in Honolulu mm-hmm. is broadcast news. Mm-hmm. Where if you're going to leave your position at the station where they've built up your brand and your identity, your celebrity basically by covering the news, they they don't let you go straight to another TV station. So if you wonder why a TV reporter suddenly says. I'm going to go into real estate, and then six months later, then goes back to another TV station. It's usually because of this. But uh, we'll also be tracking this story for Right.
0: Sure. So, you know, if you have a non compete between, let's say, an IT consulting company, and then you want to, you know, leave the company and then go somewhere else, uh, a non compete will prevent you from going to another IT consulting company. They are company. common. I've been right. subject to them myself. Yeah. And moving on to the tech calendar, today after the show, a, a month-long series of weekly workshops on WordPress continues at the Manoa Innovation Center. Instructor John LeBlanc, in partnership with ProtoHub Honolulu, will cover more advanced topics tonight, focusing on WordPress design themes, widgets, and other customizations. For more information on this and next week's workshop, you can visit
1: htdc.org. And uh, Monday on Hawaii Island, the monthly West Hawaii Tech Pauhana will feature the University of Hawaii at Hilo's Spatial Data Analysis and Visualization Lab and the work they do monitoring the puna lava flow with unmanned aerial vehicles. Researchers Nick Turner and Arthur Cunningham will present Watching Pele with Drones. This will take place at the Nelha Gateway Energy Center that's just north of Kailua-Kona, and the event is at 5 p.m. on February the 23rd. And now
0: here to uh, tell us about an upcoming event on the 24th is Art Garbizo. He's the president of the Hawaii Information and Communications Technology Association, and their annual conference is coming up next week. Welcome to the show, Art.
2: Thank you, and thanks for having me.
0: Now, just a little background. uh, So, you know, the the longtime uh, uh, association that I was a part of was called the Hawaii Telecommunications Association, and this is a sort of a evolution of that uh, association, right? Tell us a little bit about maybe this transition.
2: It's kind of a 2.0. If you think about the convergence of technologies, um, we were able to put together, uh, you know, a couple of organizations to make a a large Mm -hmm. organization Mm -hmm. that kind of focused on the convergence of technology. And um, it also allowed us a way to um, reach more members and uh, provide a Stronger value add in my opinion for the technology community
0: oh great, so uh, this is you know I think uh, the the first conference that this new organization has has really launched. Uh, tell us a little bit about it
2: indeed it is uh, the title of the tech conference is tech trends two thousand and fifteen um, and we're looking at you know what what are the technology trends uh, coming at us, what are the new Challenges. Uh, we're looking at several different industries as well as several different technologies. For example, uh, cloud computing, security, uh, data center maintenance. Uh, you know, strategy optimization.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, are you um, uh, given the fact that uh, a lot of these new technologies are at the forefront? Uh, how do you how do you sort of bring it to focus? Given uh, maybe some of the the panelists. I mean, what are they going to be covering, and are the expertise? that they're gonna be talking about businesses that they've actually been a part of?
2: Correct, yes, indeed. Um, So for example, our keynote panel will consist of uh, Garrett Yoshimi, Mm -hmm. the CIO of UH, and um, he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to speak of directly. Uh, James Cowing, a recognized security expert uh, with Coal Fire Systems, uh, a national or more or less a multinational security firm. Um, We'll also have Captain uh, Tony Siciliano of the USMC, talking about DoD's perspective on the upcoming challenges, mm-hmm. and uh, Alvin Kajiwara, uh, Vice President of Information Systems at HMSA. So you could kind of see a, a you know Pretty a nice range, yeah, a, a nice spectrum mm-hmm. across the industry. So what are
1: some of the specific sessions or topics? I mean, certainly you have the expertise there, but what are if I were to attend, or if someone's interested in attending, what would they be there to uh, to learn about?
2: Great question. So um, after the keynote, we're going to have actually three uh, sessions. The first session will be uh, presented by Hawaiian Telecom. Uh, our speakers there are going to be Vincent Hong and uh, Dave Morris. Vincent, I mm-hmm. know
1: that gentleman quite well.
2: Awesome. So, yeah, they're going to be talking about um, how to deal with a data security breach mm-hmm. and um, how to minimize impacts and um, also best practices for preventing one. Um, after that, uh, we're going to have lunch. <laughs> and, Very important. Uh, Very important. Jay Fidel will be uh, speaking at our luncheon. So, um Hold on to your hats.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, you know, in in terms of uh, the uh, people that you want to have attend, I think the members consist of people that are in telecom as well as in the computer industry here in, in Hawaii. Who do you want to see attend this conference?
2: Great. So um we want to see um, technologists as well as business professionals. We're we're focusing on both ends of the spectrum. It's not just a day of tech speak, it's also you know business business strategy optimization, looking at future proofing, your networks, your business processes, and um sessions two and three will speak more to that. Yeah, we're no cloud go, strategy is one of the e- other exactly, ones. Exactly. Cloud strategy and also um doing more with what you have. You know, what are the New trends in virtualization, the new trends in, you know, data center. How can everybody uh, take advantage of the new opportunities? So, Art,
1: uh, yes?
0: Well, I think this is an important topic because, uh, you know, I I don't know if there's any other local conference that really focuses in on these subject matters. Could you tell us a little bit about about where, when this uh, conference is going to take place?
2: Great, thank you. Um, the conference is going to take place uh, next Tuesday, February twenty fourth, at the HaliCoa Hotel. Mm-hmm. It's going to be at the HaliCoa Ballroom, and um, it's going to run from eight a.m. to four p.m. And um, basically, all the sessions will be group sessions, and uh, we'll have some space in between for networking mm-hmm. and you know getting to know your neighbors. Good. and um, Afterwards, we're actually going to have a joint mixer with uh, HICTA and HTDC. That's
0: right. The the uh, wetware wet Wednesday, Wednesday is going to take place it, after on that. a Tuesday. Right.
1: <laughs> <So special. laughs> it's a special one. So yeah, from five to seven, wetwear Okay. Well, thanks, Art, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And if you want more information on that event, you can go to hicta.org, and we'll have that link for you on our website at bitemarkscafe.org. Now joining us here in the studio is our uh, great friend and uh, predecessor and I Mentor? Mentor, Mentor. Even, oh, uh, Jay oh, Fidel, and oh, uh, oh. Uh, we wanted to have you on to tell us a little bit about what's going on with ThinkTech as well as an upcoming event you've got. Welcome to the show, Jay.
3: Uh, thank you, Ryan. Gee, you know, it.
0: Jay, you're all over the place, and you know you're going to be a keynote speaker at the the uh, HICTA yeah, conference. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys. That's there. That's good. That's <laughs> good. So tell us, uh, you know, besides the fact that you're creating this sort of uh, um, just huge sort of media conglomerate called ThinkTech. <laughs> it's a nearly 24-hour news network That's about right. technology. And then, you know, we can hardly keep up with all the new tech shows that you are launching.
3: <laughs> what are some of the new ones that you have uh, uh, on tap? Well, it's working well. <clears throat> we, have a, we have a wonderful studio downtown, Pioneer. Mm-hmm. We're doing 25 shows a week now, uh, usually starting from noon and going to 5 or 6 p.m. Uh, our, our shows about tech are on Monday. Uh, we have something called Research in Manoa. And we do that uh, with the help of the chancellor's office, the chancellor for research at UH. uh so we, we talk to those scientists, you know, who are otherwise shy. It's great, <laughs> great <laughs> to talk to them. We have Code Green, which is, uh, you know, run by uh, DBED. Mm-hmm. And it's all about writing code, I Mean city code, right? Okay. Building code. Uh, see, to make to make a green city mm-hmm. uh, in terms of building homes and condos and so forth. On Tuesday we have something called Hub Talks. This should not surprise you. This is uh, Shanna Travana uh, uh, out uh-huh. of Proto Hub, right? And she comes down with guests and people who are you know dealing at, uh, at Proto Hub. So, so are they?
0: Is her show more about the sort of the social enterprise and social let's say uh, entrepreneurs?
3: She just started uh, last week. So it's too early to say exactly where you know where the road leads, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I guess it's going to be sort of a mirror image of what she does in Hub. Right, good, right. Good. Uh, then we have on Wednesday we have the Economy and You, uh, which is run by Chris Latham. Uh, Chris uh, is a Coder, a programmer himself, I, I don't know if you know him, he has a long history in California of coding, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's about uh, many things, but especially including coding and computer science.
0: So he actually covers what, uh, how to write an iPhone app
3: on his – He covers his, how to make money using technology. I think oh, I'm going to have to tune yeah, into that one. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> want to listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then we have Neens. Uh-huh. Also on Wednesday Neens Fialafine, and uh and she does something called reaching out and she brings in mostly tech people. Mm-hmm. Uh she is, she has a great way of, of doing it. She's a great host. And uh, on our flagship show is for the energy policy forum on uh Wednesday right now as a matter of fact. No, it just ended. Uh, four to so five. we're switching
1: right over right now to this station. <laughs> right, exactly.
3: I left it to come down here, you guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had, um, we had uh, Revolution over there. And this is a very interesting show. They're talking about how they're expanding their operations to go beyond photovoltaic because photovoltaic is hard to make a living at now. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do all kinds of things in your home. Many of them are technology. In any event, that's our energy show. Uh, Thursday... Can I go on? Sure. On Thursday sure. we have uh, Avram Goodblatt. Avram Gu- Avram Goodblatt is a enterprise programmer operating out of Philadelphia. We have him on by Skype. He interviews people all over the world, um, and it's called com- com- what is it Computing for the Masses? But have, that's a show. remote host, so you have a guests remote host. in the
1: studio, and he he interviews them from where he is. Right. That's impressive. Yeah, so you bring that. him in. You bring we him in via that.
3: Skype. We have no boundaries. I'm sorry, Bert. Skype. You bring him in via Skype. Yeah, we bring him in Skype and then and then we bring his guests usually in by Skype too. Another
1: huh.
0: Wednesday show that you uh, I didn't hear you mention. Uh, don't doesn't HTDC have a show on? Oh
3: yeah, HTDC on uh, Wednesdays Wednesday? also. Uh, high growth with HTDC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, they're a very important uh, a show for us, and uh, they bring in their their tenants and all the people who might be their tenants who are you know the HTDC family, if you will.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Cindy and I and us, you know, we have sort of a little running thing about who can get the guest on before <laughs> each other.
3: <laughs> well, your uh, network is
1: very agile. I know Friday you have Ted Ralston doing a show. Um, this week they're going to be talking about the new rules for drones and commercialization that the F- FAA has. Oh, yeah. Well, a uh, let me
3: let me, let me me finish Thursday. We have Sustainable Hawaii with Hunter uh, Hevelin. I don't know if you know him. He's uh, into sustainability in every way. We have... Uh, we have um, a business education spotlight out of the Scheidler School. Uh, and, again, that's an entrepreneurial kind of show. And, on uh, Friday, as you know, we have uh, Think Tech founder, uh, Gordon Bruce. Oh, yeah, you know, yes. Um, in Hibachi Talk, and he, he with uh, Andrew Lanning. Mm-hmm. And they a do puppet. Do, a lot of tech there. <laughs> yeah. And, um, um, what's his name? Um, Angus. Angus. Mac Tech, the right, puppet. Right, Angus. And, and we have a show called Likeable Science likable science, Mm -hmm. with Ethan Allen, who is a scientist. And uh, they try to make science likable, and I think they succeed. And finally, as you mentioned, where the road leads with Ted Ralston. And he's so into drones. He must be so excited that the FAA came out with those rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's been waiting every day for that. So that's our lineup on technology. So tell us a little bit about
0: this uh, upcoming panel that you have uh, scheduled, I think, in
3: uh, February 26th. The state of unfunded
1: liabilities. Is there tech in this presentation?
3: This is the tech show. It's a tech show. I'll tell you why. All okay. right. Uh, because, uh, you know, we believe in, in having a tech industry. Mm-hmm. We've been arguing for that uh, since 2000. Uh, uh, I our, think well before entire, that. I think <laughs> 1990, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, well, some people say it was 1890, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <hey. laughs> Anyway, so um, the, the idea here, if you look at this, it's we have un- unfunded liabilities. Uh, my my wild off-the-cuff guess is $40 billion. And those unfunded liabilities are things like, what, the retirement plan? I mean, what are we talking it about? It starts with retirement okay. fund. It includes retirement health plan fund. It includes the roads. It includes rail. Um, it includes, rail. Mm-hmm, it includes mm-hmm. fixing the computer system for the state of Hawaii. There are about 50 things, no kidding. Okay. And, uh, you know, some of them are more immediate than others, but they're, they're all uh, things that we are kicking the can down the road about. And we have to address sometime soon, or they will undermine the way the state works. Mm -hmm. So the problem is we don't have enough money to do it. And we have to do this pretty soon. They involve, in my view, somewhere over $40 billion over time. Uh, So how do we do this? Well, we can raise taxes. That's always nice. (laughs) People hate that. Uh, We can stop spending on other things, like social services. People hate that, too. Mm -hmm. Or we can re-engineer the economy. And that means diversification, guys. And what is diversification? It's tech. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, we've got to build enough of the economy <laughs> yeah. around tech to have it contribute to this. So we have Steve Petronic of Hawaii Business as our opening speaker. Kali'i Akina from Grassroot Institute. Andrew Aoki, remember him? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he, he's uh, from, uh, what does he call it, Islander Institute now. Uh, Hunter, Hevelin, Hunter Hevelin, who I mentioned, does sustainability. Uh, Kitty Lagareta from Communications mm-hmm, Pacific, mm-hmm. Colin Moore, who is uh, doing great work from the university on political science. We want to ask him uh, what the barriers are politically to try to get a tech industry going at this point. And Calbert Young, who is a, fis- a fiscal expert. Uh, he was with the Abercrombie administration as mm-hmm. budget and finance. Now he's the CFO of UH. Mm-hmm. These are all great guys. Yeah, and, and, and they're going to attack the problem from multiple directions. And we think we'll actually get a handle on A, what the problem is, B, what happens if we don't fix it, and C, how we can fix it. Mm-hmm. So, Jay, as usual, sounds like a
1: jam packed panel. Um, when and where is it taking place? And where can someone go to sign up?
3: Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. It's Thursday. Next week, Thursday, February 26th, starts at 11.30 if you'd like to eat lunch. Uh, the program itself, 12 noon to one thirty, It's at the Laniakea. Register at thinktechhawaii.com. All right. Jay, you always do some great
0: stuff, and I think uh, this is a, a panel well worth checking out. Come down and cover it, Bert. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Jay, Ryan. for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. <laughs> and, of course, that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Sarah C.P. Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino. And uh, they'll talk about what it takes to be a science writer.
1: Is there certainly a growing need for science coverage in the media? And what does it take to become a science writer? Of course, we'd love to have your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 from the Neighbor Islands.
0: And all you budding science writers, you can tweet us your questions. I'm on Twitter at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. And this is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: On the next morning edition, why the wife of Afghanistan's new president wants the world to see Afghan women
5: differently. They're very strong women. They're very resilient. So I usually cringe when I read in the press about all these poor Afghan women.
4: I'm Renee Montaigne. We sit down with Rula Ghani, the first lady of Afghanistan, on the
2: next morning edition.
6: Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR1.
2: I listen to Hawaii Public Radio every morning when I'm driving to work. It, it energizes me for the day, and it gives me that information that I need to be effective. It informs my day, and uh, I really relish that time in the car, as crazy as that may sound, to actually uh, to be educated on what's going on in the world. Member supported, Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
0: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps
3: Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii
0: Supply. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm
1: Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa.
0: And joining us today is Sarah C.P. Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino, Sarah Williams is a Oahu-based science writer who covers science, medicine, and technology
1: for journals, magazines, and newspapers, and websites around the country. Brittany, meanwhile, writes about curious phenomena and people who have interesting jobs in science. She moved to Oahu last summer and has been seeking out local stories for children's science magazines and adult readers. And is there a growing demand for science writers? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that
0: number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877 Four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands want to welcome you both to bite marks cafe welcome to the show
4: yeah thanks for having us thanks for having us
0: now uh, sarah i'm going to ask you the difficult question what does it take to be a science writer
4: So a science writer is someone who uh, communicates all the the fun stuff about science to everyone who's not a scientist, and uh, it it really takes a lot of different uh, shapes and forms and and also backgrounds to become a science writer. Um, There are science writers who tell stories about science on TV and in print and on the radio like you guys do, and uh, people specialize in telling stories about medicine or physics or mathematics, and, um, you know, there's a pretty broad net of, of folks who we consider science writers. Um, my my particular background is that I uh, studied biochemistry in college and mm-hmm. I did some research at a lab. I was at the Johns Hopkins University in in Maryland and uh, I was studying a, a really particular protein that's inside cells and, and what this protein looked like. And it was kind of cool working in a lab, but I, I started to realize over time that what I loved about science was always learning, constantly learning new things and telling people about it and getting excited about new discoveries and not necessarily what one particular protein that no one else had ever heard of looked like. Um, and so I, I started looking into how I could could communicate science. And it turns out there's a handful of graduate programs around the country that actually teach people how to be science writers. And I ended up going to one of these in California and uh, doing a bunch of internships and, and work through that program. And then uh you know, had a series of jobs. And I've I've been freelancing now for about four years here in Hawaii. And uh, I write for a, a pretty wide range of places. I write for some kind of science magazines that you might see on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. So things like New Scientist and Science News. And then I write for uh, some of the big science journals have sections at the front that are news. And so, you know, a lot of the journal is papers by scientists, but mm-hmm. at the front, they want to want to tell news. So I've written in the news sections of journals like Science and Nature and Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. And then um, something else which I do and a lot of science writers also do is work for institutions that want to tell the stories about what their scientists are doing. So I write for um, big alumni magazines at Stanford and Yale telling, you know, profiling their scientists or telling stories about new discoveries that have been made in those labs. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of the range of what I do, and I think it captures pretty well what science writers in general do, which is, you know, write for a, a wide range of places.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot in there. I, mean, I want to talk about scientists and their, the challenges they sometimes face in communicating their work and certainly the the industry for science writing. I mean, there was a time where you had a science writer at the paper and all that person's job was paid to do, was write about science every day, and now that kind of specialization has gone away as reporters need to cover many things. So I think the freelance science writing uh, area is where you can find that specialty still alive and well. But uh, Brittany, what was your path to it, uh, to become a science writer? I mean, uh, when did you say that you wanted to communicate the importance of science?
5: Well, it's funny because I actually have a really similar path to Sarah's. Um, I studied physiology as an undergrad, and then I worked in a lab afterward. I thought I was going to probably go on to a PhD program. And at some point, I realized that it just wasn't a good match. And I sort of had a crisis Uh, Because I was done with school and I didn't know where else to go. And I had learned, I guess, as a kid that you have these very definite paths that you're supposed to take if you want to have a professional career. And science writing just did not exist in my vocabulary. Uh, But I I went to some career counseling and read some books and realized that this was an option. And then when we moved to Washington, D.C., I was working and then I went part time in the evenings to a science writing program that's offered... It's a different format now, but when I was there, it was um, actually on the campus in DuPont Circle to teach us how to be science and medical writers. So
0: um, can you give us kind of in a nutshell, what is it uh, that these courses teach you to become a science writer? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, as uh, as uh, Sarah mentioned, you know, you want to sort of bring it to a level of, of general interest and, and sort of get the, convey the important topics. Uh, I'd love to see uh, the general sort of story about, or, or, you know, uh, let's say somebody writing about uh, quantum entanglement or something, because that's something that's so kind of out there. And how do you describe that, you know, in, in a writing? But what is it that they teach you that sort of gives you key pointers to become an effective science writer?
5: Gosh, some of my favorite classes were really basic, like writing profiles. But, you know, we would do several of them during the course and, and you would get the feedback of the other students. And that was something that I'd never done before, actually. And you learn how to ask the right kind of questions mm-hmm. and how to establish a rapport with somebody. Uh, I had classes that taught me about how to assess the voice of a publication, which is really important as a freelancer because sometimes they want your voice and sometimes they don't want your voice they want you to sound the way that they normally sound mm-hmm. so so there're really really subtle details in the writing that you have to be able to observe um yeah, I mean, those are the two two classes that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking
1: to Sarah C.P. Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino. They're both freelance science writers, and they are with the newly formed Hawaii Science Writers Association. We'll talk about, about that a little bit after the break. But if you've got a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 941 That's on Oahu, or 877-941-3689 from the Neighbor Islands or beyond that. Uh, so, Sarah, um, you also went through academic programs that talked about uh, how to mm-hmm. nurture Someone to be a science writer, Um, but I went to journalism school. I got a print journalism degree, but I knew coming out of that that I would never make a a living writing. That there is a subset, I would say, of people who want to do writing as a career, but there the market seems to be shrinking. That they're saying, "Well, I'm going to be a a blogger or I'm going to do something else," because finding a job, a full time job, doing writing of any kind is difficult. Uh, so what did you see either then or do you see now after going through an academic program as well as doing this work uh, that still made you feel confident that this is something that you can do uh, and support yourself at the same time?
4: Yeah, sure. It is It is really challenging. And, you know, particularly, as you mentioned, with, with so many bloggers and the, the new online media, um, you know, there's a, a plentiful number of people who are willing to write for free. And that kind of right, saturates right. the market and, and brings prices down for those of us who do this full time. Um, But, you know, one of the reasons I actually chose to go to a graduate program rather than just try to, you know, forge my way with a research background into writing on my own was the connections I made there. And a lot of the programs, um, you know, typical journalism schools or these specific ones devoted to science writing have really strong alumni networks. And a lot of the connections that I made through both the program I went to and the internships that they helped me set up while I was in school and after I was in school uh, really paved the way for where I would end up writing for. A lot of the places I write for now, um, you know, are, are because of those connections. And, um, you know, at this also there's there's organizations like the National Association of Science Writers and Brittany and I are both members of that Um and, you know, have both been in, involved in different capacities on the boards of different science writing organizations and and things like that offer, you know, wherever you are, even if you're in Hawaii, you can hook up with people online and get advice and meet editors. And, uh, you know, that that makes it very easy. And that was actually one of the, the reasons we wanted to start the Hawaii Science Writers Association is that we saw how valuable those, you know, networking communities were for freelance journalists. Um but I don't know. Did that answer your oh, question? Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: No, <laughs> no, Brittany, do you um, differentiate between a science writer and a science journalist?
5: Hmm. Mm. I don't think I would. I don't think I would. No.
0: So that's pretty much. Uh, you know, are they are they kind of synonymous? I guess. in Yeah, in terms I, of, I
4: think it's two words for the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, people people could nitpick and say. Oh, I call myself this one versus right. this for a reason, um, but you know in general we're we're all journalists who cover science and i think I think one of the reasons people prefer writer instead of journalists is that there are people who are science writers who are using slightly other formats. You know, there are book writers who are part of members of the National Association of Science Writers. There are, you know, people doing podcasts. There are various things and they might not consider themselves a journalist in some regards, but writers kind of a broader term. No, I agree yeah. totally. On
0: on one hand, you know, we, we do see the fact that uh, our our daily paper uh, doesn't have a dedicated science writer anymore. Uh, but then, you know, now now we've uh, uncovered two sort of dedicated freelance science writers right here in the studio. Is there a a growing demand, do you think? uh, Has the tide sort of shifted now that, you know, there's emphasis on STEM, there's emphasis on, you know, growing a tech economy? Is there now a demand for more science writers?
5: Well, gosh, I, I can't really speak in terms of the the um, history of the industry of science writing. Sure, sure. Um, But I can say that there's been a lot of fervor recently about shrinking staff jobs. And in my experience, there's still a lot of work out there. It's just that the work is kind of hidden, and um, it's changing. And when you asked about science journalism versus science writing, I don't distinguish between the two because I always think of it as science writing, and in that sense, it's very broad. You can be writing – Uh, stories for kids. You can be writing materials that uh, become part of a school curriculum. You Mm -hmm. can be writing books. You can write blog posts. Really, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity.
1: And I would I would say that the reason why I, 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 I would be optimistic is that science is on the front page more and more often, even if it's not in the lead sentence, even though you see the, the word about it, whether you're talking about uh, weather or climate change, whether you're talking about alternative energy and renewable uh, resources, there's a science component to that. Um, but, Sarah, if you're not working for a newspaper, I'm, I want to know how the story generation process works. Does uh, National Geographic Online Magazine say, Uh, We have a story. We need a writer. Or does it come from you? And you say, um, there's something really interesting that I think the world needs to hear. Will you pay me to write that story? I mean, how does that start?
4: Yeah, it's really a mix of both of those two scenarios. So I have a lot of clients who are kind of regular clients. You know, I mentioned I write for um, the Stanford Alumni Magazine for their medical school. I'm working on a piece for them right now on melanoma research. So they came to me and they said, you know, hey, you've written for us before, and uh, we have a bunch of people working on melanoma. Can you put together a, a story for us? And I, you know, come up with a contract with them and sign it and say it all looks good. And I start researching. Um, in other cases, I'll be poking around and I'll see. Some Something I look think looks really interesting. So I just wrote a piece for a, a new online tech magazine called Backchannel, um, which which is a great example of kind of new uh, new mediums that are coming up. Actually, I say it's medium. medium. It's on Medium. Yep. I, I didn't intend that. Um, <laughs> And that was an idea I came up with, I thought I saw some headlines about virtual reality being used in some uh, cool, you know, psychiatric experiments. And I started poking into it and thought it would make a cool story. And I had connections with an editor there. And I approached them and pitched the story, you know, you have to do a little bit of research to come up with, you know, where the story is, say who you're going to talk to. And um, suggested that idea to her, and she thought it sounded good, and I went ahead with that. Um, so it, it varies by publication. I mean, certainly somewhere like National Geographic is not usually going to be, you know, knocking on the door of writers because they have so many people mm-hmm. bringing ideas to them. But. See,
1: see. And, um, Brittany, in, in your particular case, uh, you know, um, one, what I wanted to ask is you're in Hawaii, And it's great that the internet and all of these networks can exist electronically and you can be anywhere, but is there an advantage? Is there something that is special that when you are either trying to develop a story or trying to fulfill a request for a story that was assigned, that that Hawaii helps with? Is it specifically things that we do in Hawaii that no one else does anywhere else? Is it our time zone? I mean, is there an advantage to being here?
5: Oh, well, hmm.
1: <laughs> before
5: I moved here, I was writing a lot about medicine. And I was uh, living close to the National Institutes of Health. And there's a lot of work there, especially mm-hmm. if you're writing about medicine. And I just didn't know what to expect when I came here. There's definitely a lot of cool medical research happening here, and there are good stories. But I, I really wanted to focus on finding local stories because I was working a lot just from home before. And I, you can easily do this with your phone and with the internet and you know, just downloading papers. You don't have to show up in person. But while I'm here in this amazing place, I wanted to be able to show up in person. So I've been looking for local stories. And in some cases, they're completely different from what I would have ever written about before. But it's so much fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of uh, being here and working with the researchers, is it a matter of uncovering the cool story that you would want to dedicate some time to writing? Or or is it something that, uh, again, you know, the demand the is there, the, the magazine is asking you to follow up on something that they might uh, have heard of? Uh, let's say, you know, in the case of melanoma, I mean, for local, I guess, researchers, does it take time for you to kind of make the rounds and kind of get to know them and kind of build the confidence that you could write their story?
5: Well, we've definitely been showing up at local events where there are researchers and trying to meet them and let them know that we're here. Uh, I haven't actually been asked to write any stories about Hawaii um, by any of the clients that I came here with, but I have found stories here and I've pitched them to some of my clients and even new outlets and people are interested. I think uh, Hawaii, I mean, maybe I shouldn't generalize like this, but at least from my perspective, Hawaii has a certain type of reputation when it comes to science. A lot of people think of astronomy, for example, Mm -hmm, and there's a lot of other science here that people should know about. This is such a special place. There's a lot of stuff that's happening here, and you can look at it in terms of science differently than you could maybe on the mainland. Well, that's something
0: that I'd like to explore because, you know, what is it that is unique about Hawaii that could perhaps be told in a story? I mean, there could be astronomy stories. Mm-hmm. There could be uh, ocean research, all the reef, uh, reef discoveries that are going on. There could be things like uh, natural ecosystems that, that could be written about. And I think Hawaii has a very unique sort of place to, to play in that. But what does it take to actually pitch those stories and get those stories actually told?
1: In your case, uh, Sarah?
4: I mean, I would argue that the, one of the reasons the stories here are so great and so rich and there are so many to tell is because of the fact that people don't associate Hawaii with science. And so if you can tell a story that's any piece of research, look at this great research going on in Hawaii, it's going to be interesting and surprising to people who aren't familiar with Hawaii. Um, I think researchers here um, could be more aware of the fact that science writers exist, that it takes some initiative on the part of scientists to get your story told. So if you're at a, a big university, say, in Washington, D.C., I think a lot more effort goes into um connections between scientists and the media because there's so much media, you know, around them all the time. Mm -hmm. And there are so many scientists and they have a better sense of how to go, say, go to a journalist and say, I have this really cool paper coming out. Can you write a story about it Um, or or go to a newspaper and say, hey, we have this event coming up. Will you send someone to it? And, um, you know, certainly the University of Hawaii and lots of local institutions have um you know communications folks who are working right. on their publicity and I don't want to diminish their efforts but I think um, scientists could realize that sometimes it takes effort just on their part and it doesn't, um, you know, you can forge connections with with journalists and um, members of the media without necessarily going through all those avenues where things could get stuck.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the great pleasures of doing this show on, on on HPR is that we sometimes because we need to find a topic for a week, we will go out of our way to try and find an interesting piece of research. Maybe there was a press release out of the university or the researcher, but sometimes it's just we, we heard a story from a guy that we met at a thing, and right. let's let's see what that's about. Just a few weeks ago we we talked about the uh, Hawaii Undersea Research Laboratory, and we barely scratched the surface of that, and I was like, wow, if I was a science writer, um, that could be a major spread, but, mm-hmm. you know, how do you make that mm-hmm. connection? But we, we, we have a lot more to talk about, but we have to take a quick break. We're going to continue our conversation in just a bit with Sarah C.P. Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino of the Hawaii Science Writers Association.
0: And of course uh, we'd love to hear from you, and if you want to give us a call, that number is four. 940- One three six eight nine from Oahu or from the neighbor islands, you can dial one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: Next on the conversation, Capitalism versus the Climate, we'll have a conversation with activist and author Naomi Klein. You know her from her book, This Changes Everything. She's in town, and we'll talk tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. What do you get when you put three of Hawaii's top jazz string players in a room together? Come find out on February 21st when violinist Dwayne Padilla, ukulele master Benny Chong, and bassist Byron Yasui play the Atherton Studio. That's Saturday the 21st at 7.30 p.m. Tickets for this swinging evening with Dwayne Padilla and friends at hprtickets.org. Or reserve now at 955-8821 during business hours.
1: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Rosal, and we're talking to Sarah C.P. Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino about science writing. And, of course, you can give us a call here at...
0: The station. Uh, the number is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu, or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. You know, right before the break, we were talking about uh, the different opportunities that Hawaii might present as a uh, as a sort of unique offering to the science world. And what I wanted to ask uh, either one of you is, you know, given that you have uh, perhaps a, a lot of background in, in medical writing and and um, Uh, areas of, uh, let's say, protein and, you know, so biochemistry, how does it, what does it take to actually transition to some of the other areas that might be interesting in Hawaii, like astronomy or, you know, ocean sciences or, you know, perhaps uh, natural ecosystems? Uh, either one of you, Sarah.
4: So it's actually not that hard. I mean, if you've been through one of these these science writing programs, uh, you know, I was taking the same curriculum as people with a physics background mm-hmm, or people mm-hmm. with a chemistry background. And a lot of it comes down to basic journalism skills. And, I mean, many of these you'll learn even at a, you know, straight journalism program that has nothing to do with science. But, you know, it's a matter of finding the right sources and having people explain things to you and figuring out how to how to explain it to the public. Um, I mean, I've I certainly have written the most about biology. Uh, I was was working at Science News. uh, I, I don't know. This was probably seven or eight years ago. And uh, their physics writer was actually on vacation and the physics Nobel Prize came out and they said, hey, can you do the the story for us in the physics Nobel Prize? And I have no idea. You know, I don't even remember now what the discovery was, but I have no idea the background of any of this. And I have to, you know, call up all the physicists and get them to explain it to me and and figure out how to write a piece on it. And so, you know, certainly I think we step outside of our comfort zone Mm -hmm. for a lot of these stories. And that's part of what makes the job so fun. I mean, if I was writing about. You know, a single protein, and that's all I wrote about. Then, <laughs> then I would be a scientist. You know, I would just be be writing about one thing. And, uh, you know, I I love being able to write about all sorts of topics and and find totally new areas that I've never heard anything about and talk to people about it.
1: Brittany, is there a natural talent or curiosity of someone with a background in science that makes them more qualified to not just explore but then explain another area of science?
5: Well, I think that you have to be uh, you have to be willing to. Um, Really put yourself out there and meet new people, and you, you can't be afraid of the fact that you don't understand something. Uh, you know, it's, it kind of comes with the territory if you're going to be writing about a new area of science, and um, especially if you're going to try to write a, a technical story about mm. a new area of science. In that case, it's going to take a lot more uh, background research, and um, I'm actually working on a story like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's such a steep learning curve that I haven't even talked with any of the the scientists yet because I want to make sure that I have the right vocabulary first.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking to uh, um, uh, Sarah Williams, Sarah C.P. Williams, and, of course, Brittany Moya Delpino, and we're talking about uh, being a freelance writer. And, of course, if you have a comment or question or interested perhaps in Delving into this career, uh, give us a call here. The number is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu, or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Phoebe from uh, Makiki to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show.
6: Oh, thank you so much.
0: And uh, you have a question for our talented writers?
6: I do. So when I think about science research and issues in Hawaii, I think about them being very politicized, um, especially in the case of the research that Monsanto and other companies are doing here. And I'm wondering to what extent politics affects what you write about and um, whether or not you face any opposition from companies that might have a vested stake in you saying certain things or not saying certain things.
0: That's That's a great question, Phoebe. Uh, Who wants to tackle that one?
5: Well, I know that in the past when I've written for institutions then politics definitely is a major factor. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be careful about how you address things sometimes. But so far, working with magazines and online, I haven't really run into that issue just yet. It's mostly about telling the truth and telling the story that you, that you know their audience is looking for. So it depends on the interests behind the group that's reading.
1: I can certainly see that if you were hired to express or to highlight a work by an institution, that's one sort of engagement versus uh, covering it or exploring it or explaining it to an independent. Audience. It's, uh, Sarah, how about you? I mean, does it get tricky? Whether it's, uh, I would imagine there's probably not many political proteins. I could be wrong there. What? What? <laughs> that, that you might well, run I mean,
4: I really liked Brittany when she said, we're just trying to tell the truth. I mean, a lot of science journalism is about understanding the scientific process and understanding. Um, you know, where there's data to back something up. And we really try to, in the kind of writing we're doing, we try to not make too many leaps past, you know, what the papers and the data support and what the researchers are telling us and we're reporting on that. So, um, you know, certainly there are things that have political undertones, but I think as a writer, I try to, you know, certainly keep any personal biases out of it, but also, um, you know, stick to strictly the facts.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, Are there instances where you are able to determine whether the facts are as, as, say, true as they might be? I mean, there may be papers that are published that, you know, for a time until they're, you know, very well scrutinized may be taken as truth. Yeah, I mean,
4: I think one of the hardest things... uh, especially for a lot of the areas I write about, which is basic biology research, which can have medical implications, is keeping the hype out of things. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of an ongoing challenge as a science writer. And it's something that, you know, we talk about a lot and we we learn how to do better. Um, If I read a paper that, you know, says that some kind of cancer what, disappeared when you sprinkled something onto some cells to then go and say this cures cancer in humans is obviously a big leap. And mm-hmm. so, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's a, an instance where you really have to stick to the facts. And um, I think, you know, to it's an a way where we can kind of help inform the public about how the scientific process works also. Because if through our writing we can convey, you know, this is a first study and, you know, these are some possible implications, but we haven't backed that up. It needs to be tested. It Mm. needs to be tested again. The more we can really not just report in a finding, but report, here's what has to happen next. Here's how this fits in the scientific process. The better that gives people a grasp of how science works. Mm -hmm, And I think... mm -hmm. For people to understand how science works really is a you know issue That's... that 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 you know needs to be dealt with in this country you know yeah. I think the underlying problem with some of the science illiteracy we see is people not understanding the scientific process and how scientists work and how they back up their claims. And I
1: have to say that um, you have a a high calling and a high bar because you can watch the TV news every week. And every week there's a story that something causes cancer, doesn't cause cancer. Something increases your, decreases the Mm -hmm. risk of heart disease. And it is reported as a simple fact because they have to fit it in 30 seconds. I mean, there's a lot behind that. Before we get too far, though, I did want to ask about the genesis of your organization, which I should disclaim. I heard about because I was for some this ungodly reason asked to join the <laughs> Hawaii Science Writers Association. Um, so, Brittany, how did this group? come together? What was the genesis? Oh,
5: gosh. Uh, you know, I think it was Sarah's idea, honestly. <laughs> we were at a lunch, and um, we'd found some people. Some people had contacted Sarah, I think, um, before I got here, and then I contacted her before I got here, and we decided maybe we should get together for lunch, and we were sitting around the table, and I think Sarah said, maybe we should join, maybe we should form this group, and it was a great idea because a lot of people are interested in joining. It's been surprising ever since, especially since you did your blog post. We've had an an. A surprising number of people who've come out of the jungle, so to speak, (laughs) and and said, hey, I'm here,
1: too. So, Sarah, was there a jungle and science writers wandering lost?
4: Yeah, I mean, i had been mulling over the idea for a while. I moved here about four years ago. And as I mentioned before, I'm a member of the National Association of Science Writers. And we have a membership directory online that if you're a member, you can go on and you can search for, you know, people who cover biology or people who did this or that. And you can search by state. So I said, oh, let me, you know, I'm moving to Hawaii. Let me see what other science writers there are. Um, I was leaving D.C. where there's lots of science writers. And I was on the board of the D.C. Science Writers Association and had a great support network there. And uh, I think I found about three other science writers uh, when I looked in that directory. And one of them was retired. And one was someone on the big island and then maybe one was someone here. And so, you know, I was kind of disheartened by that. But I kept poking around and I emailed a couple people and, you know, had lunch with people on scattered times. And then um, Brittany contacted me before she was moving here and when she moved here she really you know wanted to be more ingrained in the hawaii science culture and she actually did a great job of finding some of these events which i didn't i'd been here for four years and didn't even know they exist you know yeah yeah like Mm -hmm. things like this where you know i certainly look for science events and i google stuff going on and i just had never come across it and i was like you know she came across this and i just kept thinking we need a better repository for stuff like this and we need to come together as as science interested writers and you know help each other cover science better here and uh so i reached out to the other folks that i'd I'd made some connections with before and there's a good handful of people here and they're um you know really skilled people and it's people who write for other you know top tier national publications and also some local folks um we have a science writer at honolulu magazine right now who just moved here um and so, you know, we've gotten together a couple of times now, and it's it's been really great so far. And, you know, we have more plans for things we'd like to have do Have you well. uh,
0: Have you connected with uh, Christy Wilcox? Yeah. She's uh, a member of She is. Yeah, yeah, we had, she is, yeah, we had just had lunch radio. with her this week. Oh, good. Yeah. That's why I joined. I saw her name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we want to um, also welcome uh, Nitai from Haleiwa to Bite Marsh Cafe. Welcome to the show.
6: Oh, thanks very much. Sure.
0: And uh, do you have a, a question?
6: Yeah, my question is, is, uh, uh, is a, as a freelance writer, there's also, I mean, uh, anyone can research on the Internet and look and go into any f- a field if they just want to get some information. But then again, if it's something outside of your field, slightly even, especially with science, it's so technical and there's so much influence on information and how that information is released and this and that. And my question is, is, as a freelance writer, when you're doing this, um, investigative research and I imagine a lot of time it's on the internet looking at different papers and this and that. Is there something in you that brings like whether something's true or false or if there's an agenda behind something that somebody's saying so that kind of a sense, just a human sense that you have that lets that kind of lets, you know, maybe this information isn't really accurate or I need to check it out.
1: That's, an that's interesting a that's question. a good
0: question. Good question. So Brittany, do you want to thank, thank you, me. Sarah?
1: I
4: think I really, you know, rely on the primary literature as much as I can. So, you know, you can certainly Google something and find someone's website that says, you know, here's an idea I have, or even here's research I have. And, you know, if I see something interesting, I immediately go to Google Scholar or to PubMed and I, I search for it and I try to find, you know, reviews and I try to find peer researched journal articles and, uh, you know, at that point I think I can usually start to get an idea based on, you know, where something's published, you know, how mm-hmm. legitimate it might be, how many oh. people are backing this up, how many other people are supporting this idea. And uh, you know, then some of it also is is calling around and talking to scientists and you know, at a certain um point I have to put down the papers and, you know, can't just, just stick my head in Google Scholar all day and I, I wanna get scientists on the phone and hear what they think and You know, if I talk to enough people who are all saying, you know, this is what we think, then... uh,
0: So that's kind of a a, a, sort of a degree of confirmation. If you have multiple interviewees that you have talked to and they all seem to kind of align in one one direction that kind of gives you a reassurance that you know that might be the right track. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah. And there there also can be stories of course where there's an outlier and there's someone who's saying everyone else is wrong and I'm right and that can be a great science story and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that person may or may not be right and you know maybe they have a grand new idea that's going to change the field and maybe they don't but that can be a story as long as you present it in this way that's, that's clear that this is an outlier and it's not, so, you know, an, what they're saying is the absolute truth.
0: question that we had uh, that came in from a shy caller, they, they kind of wanted to know, and it's, it's sort of in line with what you're talking about, what, to what level of complexity do you go into with regard to your writing? And how do you gauge that level of complexity? Uh, is it assuming that, you know, the, what level do you assume the readers are at?
5: I could talk about this a little bit. Yeah, because it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about studying the voice and um, really understanding the way people talk and what kind of information they'd want. Uh, So I have been writing for the last year uh, for a children's science magazine, and it's so much fun. And it is a completely different voice from what I used before. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's a magazine called Muse. And um, I had frank conversations with the editors, and they said, you know, look, like you definitely, um, you're writing for kids, but also this is a a particular Type of kid who really likes science, and they will love it if you will expand their vocabulary. So they're not trying to, you know, eliminate words above three syllables. They actually want you to to keep in the technical terms, but just explain what it means. Um, yeah, mm-hmm.
4: good. It, it really varies by publication, though, and that's part of you know being a successful freelancer is knowing your publication and making sure you write appropriately. And you know, when I'm writing for the journals I mentioned. Most of the people reading those are scientists or people with a higher understanding of science. And I can be a little bit more technical. And when I'm writing for, uh, you know, I write for the website What to Expect, which is a a popular pregnancy website. And I'm trying to infuse a little bit more science in that. I just started writing for them recently. And uh, that's a, a very general audience. And I have to be very careful to not necessarily avoid scientific words or terms, but just explain things very clearly and make sure I'm, you know, Holding the reader's hand as I'm walking them through a piece of research and really explaining it in a, a simple way. In the
0: in the last couple of seconds that we have, uh, where can we find more of your writing? And both, uh, you know, g- is there a quick website that you can tell us and and uh, share your your writing?
4: Yeah, sure. I'm at saracpwilliams.com dot com, and uh, you can also find information about the Hawaii Science Writers Association at Hawaii Science dot wordpress dot com,
5: or just by uh, googling googling that. Okay. My website is um, scienceandpeople.com. Good.
0: Scienceandpeople.com. We'll -hmm. We'll definitely include that on our uh, show notes. Both Sarah CP Williams and Brittany Moya Del Pino are freelance writers, science writers, and founders of the Hawaii Science Writers Association. Maybe maybe they'll let me in.
1: I don't know. You should join, Bert. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you both for joining us.
4: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us.
1: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll learn about Sea Perch and an underwater vehicle challenge. Yes. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you
0: can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. And, of course, you can
1: find us on Twitter. I'm on at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our Song Pick of the Week.
0: Here's a band called Roman Flugel and a song called Friendship Song. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.